0: Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA Benchmarking Study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA Benchmarking Study is just one of many ways They provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And I am incredibly excited about this episode today for a lot of different reasons. But one, it's the first podcast. I've done after the official Wealth Management Edge, RIA Edge event that took place in Hollywood, Florida last week. And two, I've got one of the most well-known individuals in our space on this podcast. Thrilled to welcome Steve Sandusky. You're all probably very familiar with Steve, who's founded the Steve Sandusky Advisor Network. Um, Steve's an entrepreneur. He's a CFP. He's a coach. He's a podcaster, a New York Times bestselling author. So, they're probably too many things to even list in this 25, 30-minute podcast interview here, but thank you for making time for us. We really do appreciate
1: it. Well, Mark, very happy to be here.
0: And I listed a few different things, obviously, that you're very well known for, but um, if you wouldn't mind, before we get into you know, the subject of the day here, which is, you know, are we really in a bull market for financial advice? I think it would be really helpful if you just provided a little bit of context as to one- what is the Steve Sandusky Advisor Network, and two, you know, a, a little bit of additional context on how you're work, how you're working with RIAs at the moment?
1: Yeah, well, I would say that I'm essentially in Act Two of what will probably be a three-act play in terms of uh, what I do. So Act One was Corporate America years ago, Caterpillar, Hewlett Packard, and another company that was a JV of American Express and AT and T. So. Act two is Financial Services, uh, Securities America back in the early days in the 1990s, Peak Advisor Alliance back in the 2000s. So for 11 years, Ron Carson and I were business partners and we created what was called Peak Advisor Alliance. Today, it's Carson Group Coaching and ran that during that period of time. And we built that from zero to a thousand advisors that we were coaching. And then now uh, what I'm doing here with, with my organization is boutique personalized coaching. So I still am coaching advisors on a one-on-one basis. I also do content marketing, podcasting. And then I also have another company called ROL Advisor in partnership with Mitch Anthony, who I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. And we started ROL Advisor to, to offer training and digital tools for advisors who want to focus on what we call life-centered planning. And we've got over 200 advisory firms from 11 countries that are participants in that program. So yeah, really runs the gamut here. And I just feel like I've been in this business for a long time. I know a lot of people and this network is simply my ability when I'm working with clients to basically connect them with pretty much anybody else in the industry whenever they need a connection. So I really enjoy that ability to uh, connect people throughout the industry.
0: I appreciate the background, color, and context. And Steve, again, thank you for taking time out with us today, especially when you have so many different things going on. Uh, But I did want to talk about what I think is maybe the most important question or topic in our space. And I want to give you credit uh, because you did reach out to me a couple of weeks ago, we had been leading up to Wealth Management Edge, posing the question: um, you know, Is this a even though we're in bear market territory, is this a bull market for financial advice? That was our theme that we wanted to explore at Edge because you know I truly believe it is a bull market for advice. Investors have never had more challenges or more needs, or, or even more access to financial advice or financial advisors. You raised the question, while we might be in this bull market for advice, You know, is it actually a bull market for advisors? Uh, and I think that that's a phenomenal question. I asked it in, in my opening remarks at Wealth Management Edge last week, uh, and I'm really interested to kind of you know, dig in and get your take on it. But the first question I have for you is one that I asked about 20 people last week. One, <laughs> are we in a bull market for advice, in your opinion, yes or no, and why?
1: Well, yes, definitely. I think we are in a bull market for advice. And the reason why I say that is if I think about when I got into this industry 30 years ago, back in 1993, that was basically pre-internet days. And so if you wanted advice, if you wanted information about financial stuff, you needed to call a broker essentially, or you needed to wait until you got the morning paper the next day to see what was going on in the stock table. So The ability to get advice and information was so limited 30 years ago. But now, of course, we've got the internet, we've got artificial intelligence, we've got all these different forms and ways to get information and get advice, regardless of what channel you may wanna receive it in, what form of media you wanna receive it in. So it's absolutely a bull market for advice. And then the question then becomes, well, but is it a bull market for advisors and again that you know that was the question that i had sort of challenged you with as well
0: let's let's pick that apart a little bit is it a bull market for advisors right now why or why not in your view steve
1: well i think the biggest thing to look at is if we say it's a bull market for advisors then we would expect to see dramatic growth in the financial advisor business in terms of their revenue growing And you've seen the data, I've seen the data, I looked at the most recent Schwab benchmarking study that came out in 2022. Mm -hmm. And when I dissected the numbers and did a little bit of analysis, what their report published was that for the five years ending December 31st, 2021, compound average uh, revenue growth was 11.3% for the advisory firms in their survey. Now, keep in mind, the Schwab folks, these are really the best of the best out there. So these are the firms that you would expect to be doing really well. But then I said, okay, well, how much of that is market growth? And so I took a simple 60-40 allocation, 60% U.S. equities, 40% mid, mid-term bonds. And the, the Kager for that was 11.9% mm-hmm. over those five years. And so the natural conclusion is the actual organic growth was essentially 0 over those five years and all of the growth was simply attributed to what the market did. And so I'm saying to myself, of all the tailwinds that we have in this industry over those five years, and heck, I'd even go back 40 years. I'd go back to 1982 at the the bottom of the generational bear market in 1982 and say, we've had tailwinds for 40 years. And if we can't get organic growth with these kinds of tailwinds, then I'm not so sure if it's really a bull market for advisors. Again, for advice, absolutely, because there's so many different ways that people can get advice. But for people to pay 10, 20, $30,000 a year, year after year, that's that's a bigger lift.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that there are there are a lot of different things that we can talk about here. I guess the, the first comment I have is just on the organic growth numbers you used before. You know, I've seen other studies, I've done other studies, and no matter you know, what the source is, it appears that the typical firm did not grow organically at all. And I would say that's incredible when you consider that over the last 10 years, you know, most firms have doubled and in some cases even tripled in size and you didn't have to be particularly strategic to do that. And markets obviously have provided in many ways. Um, so I don't want to sound too dismissive, right? But it has been a, a golden era for financial advice in, in many ways. When we look at the firms that are really, truly growing, right? They're bringing in net new assets that are, you know, you know it's 10%, right? Year over year. You know, they're doing things that are much more strategic, much more intentional, right? Um, And they're not just coming from referrals, right? Um, So I'll ask the question to you, Steve. um, While it might not be a bull market for financial advisors right now, there are a tremendous amount of opportunities, as you've mentioned. um, But what has to happen for it to become a bull market for financial advisors? What do they need to do? And I know there's no magic pill, right? But to unlock some of the growth opportunities and the potential that's out there right now.
1: Well, the first thing is and I could easily just say oh you need to do you know seminars you need to do passion prospecting you know all those tactics but I think even before we get to that we fall back on what I would say are two of my fundamental beliefs when it comes to or, to organic growth and the first one is that where you fall on the organic growth scale is not a function of knowing what to do rather it's a function of wanting to do you know and the reality is the vast majority of advisors their desire to do the work that's necessary for organic growth is just not there it's not strong enough to overcome the time the money and the effort that's required to grow organically because we we all know what needs to be done they can listen to your podcast they can listen to mine they can read the trade magazines they can attend great conferences like the the one that you guys just put on so the info is there so knowing what to do is not the issue; it's the desire to do it that's lacking, and it's lacking because the majority of advisors are comfortable. I mentioned the tailwinds that we've had here for the past forty years. Things like interest rates have gone from eighteen percent down to zero, and now they're back up again here in in recent times. The stock market has gone up dramatically. Real real estate prices have soared. Uh, government. You know, deficits have soared, which has put more money in people's pockets. PE ratios have expanded dramatically, so on and so forth. But the biggest tailwind that we've had over the past 20 to 25 years is a one-time gift to the advisor community of this shift from a commission business to a recurring assets under management fee model. And so that shift, what happened is instead of having to Started zero every year and resell 100% of your business when it was a commission business, now we start the year with 90% plus of our business pretty much guaranteed. And so the first 10 years of an advisor being in business, it's tough, it's really hard, it's uncomfortable. But once you get to 100 million in assets under management or 200 million or 300 million, all of a sudden you're making 500,000, 750, a million dollars a year. And so for most people that's a really comfortable living. And so for someone to say, "Hey, I'm making all this money, I've got a pretty good lifestyle, I've got things under control, I'm comfortable, I've got security, why do I want to keep busting my my uh you know, keep busting it really hard here to continue to grow beyond what I need?" And so there's only a small percentage of advisors who have that desire, who have that motivation to keep working hard to keep getting out of their comfort zone, expanding that comfort zone. And that's why I I think we've got to get the desire there. And and I firmly believe if you have the desire, you will find a way to actually grow.
0: Yeah, and I think you make a number of really good points. I, I would step back even more and ask the question, if I'm an advisor and I'm thinking about what my business looks like in a year or three, five or even 10 years from now, and I, and I am not exactly sure, right? You have to ask a really important question, which is why grow? And if you know, some people are comfortable, and if you're comfortable, happy, you're running a lifestyle business, and it works for you, and it works for your clients, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but for others, there could be any one of a number of reasons. One, you might want to attract some talent, right? And to do that is more competitive than ever right now. But the firms that have a growth plan and are growing the most, probably have the best chance at recruiting and attracting talent. Obviously the firms that are growing the most organically, if you're looking to sell your business or merge, right? They're worth more, right? So those are just two examples of, you know, what how someone can answer the question, you know, why grow? I, I, I'm i curious, you know, as we start to see more you know, solo firms and more of the sort of, you uh, the early you know, independent firms start to transition and go into succession, right? Do you see some of the more, I don't even call them startup, right? But the more sort of emerging to almost established um, RIA firms out there, do you see anything different in their, you know, let's call it their DNA, right? And the way they think about growth, as opposed to, you know, some of the firms that may be at the point where they're thinking about succession or
1: retirement. I do. And, and, so I want to go back. I mentioned this idea of we started out in a commission business and now we've moved to this recurring revenue model. That to me is such a huge change because if you look at a lot of the leaders of the largest advisory firms today, these are people that have been in the business for 30, 35 years. I mean, the names that we know, the Ron Carsons, the Marty Bicknells, yeah. the Peter Malukes. Okay. we Those are people who cut their teeth on a commission business. So those people knew how to sell. And so those are the survivors. Those are the ones who made it through that period. And those are the ones that we often see heading up these really large firms. Well, now that we've made this shift to a recurring revenue model, the the pressure is not there in the way that it was for these, these uh, G1 leaders. Mm-hmm. And so as I look at the next generation of leaders, they've grown up in a very different environment where they didn't have to cut their teeth on you eat what you kill. And so I think there's a very different mentality with a second and third generation advisors. And I see a lot of this with like, uh, you know, the XY Planning Network Mm -hmm. uh, organization, you know, a terrific organization of folks who want to build a nice practice where they've got a certain number of clients that are manageable. They're doing it on a, a, a fee basis and they're building a nice life and doing a great job with their clients. That's really attractive to a lot of people these days. And so I, I definitely see a shift in the mentality. And again, of course, I'm generalizing here a little bit. Yeah. Not everybody's like that, but but certainly much more than the previous generation. So yeah, I think there is a very different type of mentality. And I see a lot of frustration, even with the, the advisors that I coach, where it's hard to find a young advisor that really wants to develop business that really wants to quote sell. And I don't want to sell is not a bad word. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's like, if we, if we want to grow, we got to get out there. But one thing I do see happening is we're shifting from an advisor led sales culture to a corporate marketing led culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that is very much in keeping with the next generation of advisors that they love to market. They love to get on Twitter. They love to get on LinkedIn. They love to be in Facebook groups and provide responses to folks there. So they love the marketing part. And so I think they're adapting to the way people want to be reached out to today. And I think that's a positive thing.
0: I I, I agree completely. I think we're far from the, you know, the majority of the RAs that are out there, you know, doing proactive strategic marketing, but you're definitely seeing, uh, maybe this is sort of one of the outcomes of March, 2020, right? The whole industry goes virtual overnight, practically. Um, It wasn't perfect, right? Um, But in a very short period of time, I'll never forget, Joe Duran last year at Wealth Management Edge, um, in one of our opening discussions said, over the last year to two core value prop of financial advisors for the longest time has completely been eviscerated which is part of my value prop is that I live within I work within 25 miles of where you live <laughs> right now I can theoretically work with any investor or any client anywhere right at any time um, without ever having to meet face to face. So I do think you know you're starting to see more recognition of not just you know how important it is to market but how to do it appropriately. Um and that does lead me to my next question. I touched on it briefly earlier, but I am curious what role you see technology playing in helping to potentially one deliver more financial advice and more wealth management services, right, to a broader portion of the population. And then two, maybe assisting in some of this mass personalization, right? Like if we're doing real marketing, that would imply that we're trying to get client more clients than we've ever had before. And I'm making a generalization here. But just to kind of ask that question up front, Steve, what role do you see technology playing in potentially helping to unlock what could be a bull market for financial
1: advisors? Well, that's a huge question. and And, and I love talking about it. So if we look at what does technology enable a financial advisor to do? Now, some people will say, Well, because of this technology, a financial advisor is going to be able to have more clients. Well, I think generally speaking, the answer is no to that because the bottleneck with having more clients is not that I don't have the right technology. The bottleneck is the time that I spend with the client. So unless we want to move to a doctor model where I only spend five minutes with the doctor and they've got 15, 20 patients that they're seeing each hour, I don't think anybody wants to move to that kind of model. So so technology is not the bottleneck in terms of enabling a financial advisor to meet with more clients because there's no technology that is going to speed up an advisor's ability to have a meaningful conversation with someone. So that's not the issue. So specialization will allow an advisor to spend more time meeting with clients instead of doing some of the back office work. So specialization coupled with technology of course, technology is going to enable us to be more efficient. So the support staff is going to be able to be much more efficient. We might be able to process putting together a financial plan instead of it taking 10 hours, maybe it's going to take 45 minutes because we've got AI out there that's going to help improve that. So that absolutely will enable an office to be more efficient. So the other thing that happens with technology is we, we, th- we say, okay, well, if I got this technology, it's going to free up all this time. No, it doesn't because we just end up doing more for our clients. If the tech enables us to have more time, we're going to consume that time by doing more stuff for our clients. So, and, and, and I mean, it, that essentially that has to be a fact because if you ask anybody, are you working more today than you did before? Most people would say, yeah, I am. So technology is not liberating us from our time. But when it comes to advice, I definitely think that because of technology, the way that it's evolving, more people will have access to higher quality advice. And I think AI is going to have a big impact on that. So I think technology is democratizing access to advice. I think there's communities of people who historically have been shut out from getting advice will now be able to get quality advice because it'll be delivered either free or at a very low cost because of advancements in technology. And I think that's a wonderful thing.
0: And, and your last two points are spot on. I couldn't agree more. I think um, this idea of being able scaling financial advice is not easy, but yeah, there are obviously tools that are you know, out there now and that are coming out every day, right? That can help an advisor deliver a better client experience, a you know, more efficient experience, and a more sort of personalized experience for their individual Clients. And it's amazing to think, you know, where we are today compared with just you know five years ago, for example. Um, so I'm interested to see how this continues to evolve. I can't even explain how much discussion we had last week at Wealth Stack around you know AI in particular. Um, and I do want to maybe anchor on that one for a minute with you, Steve. I think you know, the AI piece, I mean, AI has been out there for 20, 30 years, right? But it feels like only recently in the last maybe six to twelve months, it's become very real in the wealth space. Um, what is your view on sort of practically how AI may have the biggest impact on the wealth management industry?
1: Another great topic here. So I've spent a lot of time here in just in recent months in particular, since ChatGPT came out, just really trying to dig into that and see what that's going to do. So I did a, a podcast here recently where I interviewed ChatGPT four. And I connected it to a voice AI. So I would ask it questions and it would respond to me with a voice named Rachel. And I asked it things like, I wanted it to have a back and forth dialogue with me. And the question was, I want to know if I have enough money to retire. And so it went back and forth. It asked me like eight to 10 different questions and took all of that together. And then when it gave its reply, its response, its conclusion, it restated all the different pieces of information that I gave it. And then it came back and said, well, based on your information, yes, I think you will have enough money to retire and blah, blah, blah. And oh, by the way, this is a difficult question and you need to get professional advice and talk to your financial advisor. So it had that that clarifier in there. And then I said, okay, now I I want you to tell me what is the probability of me running out of money before I die? And then it went through another iteration of questions and ask me that. So that was just a very simple application. And so when we talk about democratizing access to advice, I think the ability for an AI to have human-like conversation and can go back to 10 minutes earlier in the conversation and pull that into the, the current moment part of the conversation, I think is just incredible. So I think that's That's definitely going to help. And of course, we know all the simple things like how this ChatGPT and and these large language model type AI can help us create content, can help us start blog posts. Uh, I just did something the other day where I said, I gave ChatGPT a prompt and I said, I want you to create a PowerPoint presentation for me on the pros and cons of when I should take social security. I want you to put together 15 slides. I want you to create the visual basic code for, for it and the outline of each of the 15 slides. So it came back, it gave me the code, it gave me the outline, I took the code, I pasted it in the PowerPoint uh, part of the PowerPoint presentation, I ran the macro, it created the slides, and then I went back to ChatGPT and I said, for each of these 15 slides, I want you to write out my script on what I should say for each of these points. So within about 30 minutes, I had a PowerPoint presentation and I used the slide designer in PowerPoint to actually pretty up the slides. So in about 30 minutes, I've got a complete presentation on the pros and cons of when I should take social security. So again, a simple example of how we can use it in marketing, how it's going to save us time, how it's going to enable us to do more over time.
0: It's amazing, really. I uh, had a similar encounter with chat 2 um where you know i asked it for you know, what age can i retire based on you know any one of a number of different sort of you know financial criteria i gave it um and it gave a surprisingly an alarmingly accurate financial plan and outlook and then right after that right uh, to your point steve it did tell me i should talk to a financial advisor right and seek out professional guidance which i actually think you know feeds into this sort of bull market for advice um Mm-hmm. And I think about my own kids who are you know 15, and they're using chat the way I was using you know Google when it first came out, right? So that financial advisor's ability to be found, right to be part of more digital conversations, right will only accelerate because of AI. Um, so I appreciate your take on that. and I'm really excited to see how much innovation there is in the space and how much potential it has to, not just help advisors be found, right, but to make them more efficient instead of going through 100-page legal documents, right? Have ChatGBT go through it, right, and highlight the things that are the most relevant and important. Um, so it all feeds into this whole concept of a, a bull market for advice. Um, and I think actually might help help shape a bull market for advisors. Um, it, before we wrap, Steve, here, and I think you've touched on some really huge, you know, some mega trends here, uh, role of technology and accelerating growth. In the wealth management space, the role that AI can play in sort of helping to revolutionize wealth management. For an individual who's listening to this podcast, though, right, if he or she is inclined to grow, just to go back to our you know, opening question and you know, conversation, um, what one piece of advice might you have for putting the right framework, right, the right plan in place for acting on some of these growth opportunities that exist?
1: Can I give you two?
0: You can give me two. Okay. (laughs) All right. Take a third if you needed to.
1: Okay. All right. So the first one I would say is you've got to have a purpose. And whether you call it a purpose, whether you call it a vision, whether you call it a mission, you've got to have something that is just burning inside of you that says, I'm going to do this. I want to grow and so there's got to be that reason because you're gonna hit obstacles. You're going to hit a point where you're like, ah, this is too hard, I want to give up. So you've got to have some deep-seated purpose that's going to help you continue to move forward when the time gets really tough. I'll give you one example of that. Uh, a lot of folks probably know Seth Streeter. Seth is the co-founder of Mission Wealth, about a five and a half six billion dollar firm out of California. So I was talking to Seth and he said, and I'm going to quote him here. He said, growth to us is synonymous with impact. The more we grow, the more opportunity there is for our team, the more families we can serve and the more communities we can give back to. So for us, growth fuels our purpose because our purpose is making an impact, end quote. So when you have a purpose like that, which is about impact, which is about giving back to our community, it's helping the families that we serve, giving opportunities for our team. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. I can get Wrapped up in that, I can attract teammates who dig that and really want to be part of an organization that has that kind of purpose. So that's a great example of having a purpose that gives you the fuel to keep moving forward when when times get tough. So whatever your you know, figure out what your purpose is, and that's going to be this baseline operating system that's going to help you move forward when things get difficult. So I'd say that would be number one, and then a second thing I would say is this idea that when you are clear, clients appear. And what I mean by that is that the clients that you're going to attract are going to be a lot more valuable than the clients that you pursue. And you can attract these clients by being very clear on who you are, what you do, why you do it, how you do it, for whom you do it, and the specific outcome that people are going to achieve by working with you. And so, This also gets back to the corporate-led marketing. And if we think about marketing, think about it on a continuum of one to 10, where one is one end of the positioning spectrum and 10 is the opposite end of the positioning spectrum. But what do most advisors do? They market to the middle. They're marketing to four, five, and six because they don't wanna upset anybody. They don't wanna turn away any potential clients. So they're gonna go right down the middle And they're going to say everything that chat GPT can turn out in 10 seconds. Okay. That is useless content. It's it's everywhere. Okay. So what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to market to one, two, or three or market to eight, nine, or 10, which means you got to have a position. You got to take a stand. You got to have an opinion because if you don't, there's no way in the world that you're going to stand out in a sea of sameness. So I would say those two things. One is dial in on your purpose, and number two, be so clear that your clients will appear.
0: Yeah, I think that um, is something I will, if you don't mind, steal from you, give you credit.
1: <laughs> of course, <laughs> every time guest. I
0: mention it, right? But I, I think that that's incredibly important, and I'm glad that you went with you know those two points versus you know some of the more specific tactics, right? areas that you can invest, technology that you could use. It really does have to be a mindset um, and it really does have to be a philosophy. And I think if you have clarity in that, um, it becomes so much easier to obviously articulate to your team, to prospects, obviously your existing clients too. Um, and I think that concept of you know looking at impact, I asked a question before just about the DNA of a you know, G1 advisor versus a G2 or G3 um, and I do see G2, G3, they are somewhat more altruistic, right? They see the impact that financial advice can have, right, on individuals. And I, I've talked to a lot of those advisors who are really motivated by improving the lives and the outcomes, right, of their clients and making sure that they are essentially saving themselves from making mistakes they would have made independently. Um, so I, I think it's one of the, one. this has been one of the more important, but also enlightening conversation. So Steve, thank you so much for stopping by the RA Edge podcast. We will have to have you back at some point soon because there's just too much to cover, but really appreciate you taking some of these massive, these mega trends out there in our space and boiling them down to what are some essential principles for really thinking about growth and then acting on that growth. So Steve, thank you for stopping by.
1: Well, thank you, Mark. Happy to be here and I appreciate it.
0: And I'm glad we finally got the chance to connect here. And I'm glad we also had an event with 1,500 people in between. The question you posed to me, is it a bull market for financial advisors? And the conversation we had here this afternoon, it's given me a lot to think about. It's given our audience and our community a lot to think about. Um, So again, Steve, thank you for stopping by the RA Edge podcast. And thank you to everybody for listening here today and tuning into the RA Edge podcast on behalf of the wealth management team here at Informa connect. I am Mark Bruno. Thank you for stopping by, and we will see you on the very next episode of the RIA Edge podcast. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RAA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.